A New Perspective explores breakthrough strategies, techniques, and technologies with leading industry experts to optimize the human mind, body, and spirit. A better you enriches the community around you and progressively renews the world. We are a community dedicated to that impact. Welcome to A New Perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A New Perspective. I am joined today by a gentleman from all the way across the Atlantic Ocean in the UK, a gentleman who really, uh, I'll let you kind of describe all the different facets of things you have going on, but many different backgrounds, doesn't fit into any box that uh, I think a lot of people would would, uh, put you in. But uh, gentlemen, I've been very excited to have a conversation with none other than Zuby. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Happy to be here, Joseph. How are you? Yeah, doing well. So I'll just dive right into it, man. I I, I came across you from Joe Rogan's podcast, and mm-hmm. I immediately was like, dude, this is a dude who just is free. Like he's just doing what he wants to do. <laughs> he's uh, he's he doesn't seem to be bound by any stereotypes of what you're supposed to be doing, and just is kind of doing his own thing. And it was refreshing, especially in a, in a feel like a time today where there's just such a, a weird uh, intensity in the air where it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to just have conversations, I think, across your own kitchen table and with people that are your own loved ones. Um, and I want to dive into a lot of this stuff, but, but here you are. I'll, I'll let you kind of describe your background, but you've done so much, man. I, what, what do you, when people ask you, what do you do? What's your go-to response? Man, I typically say, I mean, I can list things, but I typically say I'm a rapper and creative entrepreneur because I think creative entrepreneur covers a lot of things. So I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I've got my podcast, Real Talk with Zuby. I wrote and released my first book, Strong Advice. I will have more books in the future. I also do coaching. I do some public speaking when that's legal. So, um, yeah, I do a bunch of things. So initially off the bat, I was known for my music very specifically. So, you know, I normally separate rapper from creative entrepreneur because I've released, uh, I've put out a lot of music and that's initially what everyone knew me for before stuff started to blow up on social media and through the podcasting world and things like that. Right on. Yeah. So a part, a big part of why I wanted to connect with you, man, is, is I find myself, I was never really interested in politics personally. I I was never like an ASB growing up. I was never, in fact, I was probably more skeptical of people who liked politics just Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was like, why? either it's like people are running for a popularity contest or, you know, and and I was just never interested in it. And then I find myself in these, in this recent culture getting dragged into it where I feel like, yeah, like I'm getting getting pulled into this conversation (laughs) that I never had any intention of being a part of. And yeah. it's like, dude, I'm trying to get away from you guys, and you guys mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. sucking me into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, dude, if I don't start making my voice heard, I'm going to get roped into this wild place that it's like, mm-hmm. how did we get here? Yeah. And yeah. part of why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you is I think that we're in an era right now where having white skin, I'm just going to say it, like having white skin is associated with a trust fund, <laughs> like mm-hmm. ha- coming from having this incredibly privileged background and having dark Dark skin is automatically associated with being part of a marginalized group that has been oppressed. And you just don't fit any of that mold to me. Like you, I mean, some of your background, obviously going to Oxford University, being a Rhodes Scholar, that doesn't fit the narrative of being a black dude. 
and then a rapper doesn't really fit the narrative of being a Rhodes Scholar <laughs> and then <laughs> being a rapper who also, you know, is into politics and, and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, this dude's just doing whatever he wants. And <laughs> that's like part of what I love so much about when I watch you do your thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so I guess I say all that, let's just dive into a little bit of your story and I want to dive into what I just kind of talked about. Um, but yeah, give me a little bit on just like growing up for you. Like what, what, uh, yeah. How, how was, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I was born in England. Um, so born in the UK when I was one year old, I moved to Saudi Arabia. So my whole family went out to Saudi Arabia. My, my parents were working there. Um, when so I went to school in Saudi Arabia from kindergarten up until fifth grade. So I was in the American slash international school system for several years. When I was eleven years old, I went to the UK. I came to the UK for boarding school. So I was in secondary school here for seven years in total. And then, you know, did really well in school, got top grades in every single exam, got accepted to Oxford University. I went there, started studying computer science. When I was in my first year of university, I started rapping. And when I was in my second year of university, I released my first album, Commercial Underground. So that was when I first got into music as an artist. And then um, after graduating, I took one year out. I did my music full-time for one year. I already had a job offer to go and work for a management consulting firm in London. So I, after that one year of doing my music full-time and releasing my second album, The Unknown Celebrity... I moved to London and I worked in the corporate world for a couple of years while doing all my music stuff on the side. Then in 2011, November 2011, I took the big jump to go and pursue my music career full time. And so I've now been independently self-employed for about eight and a half years now. And um, it's grown and expanded a lot since then. I've done a lot of stuff with my music over the years, achieved a lot of stuff there. And then... um, in 2018, 2019, I just started diversifying more. Um, I started my podcast last year, which now has thousands of listeners every week. I, I wrote and released my first book, which is a fitness book called Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. I had a whole bunch of tweets go viral. Um, my social media following has gone up, I don't know, 12 to 13 times since beginning of last year. So beginning of last year, I had 18,000 Twitter followers. As we record this now, I'm pretty close to hitting 240,000. And that's just on Twitter, let alone the other platforms. Nice job. So stuff has just continued to grow, man. Um, been on some of the biggest podcasts in the world, like the Joe Rogan Experience. Um, I've done the Ben Shapiro Show, the Rubin Report, the Candace Owens Show. Been on Fox News multiple times, Sky News, BBC. Um, you know, I've become, I'm at the intersection of a whole bunch of different worlds. So I'm not just a rapper. Um, I'm sort of known and respected in a lot of socio-political circles and fitness circles, sure. and, um, music, and just all of these different things that I do and different things I have interests in, different things I have t uh, that I talk about. It means that my audience is much wider than just my music audience that I initially had, and that's something that I've sort of embraced. You know, I'm. Because ultimately, I want to be a, an inspiration to people, and I want to impact people, and I want to help people to help themselves and to improve their thinking and improve their lives, improve their health, their fitness, etc. So there's the, a lot that I can do outside of my music directly, which I'm now a lot more open to doing. So rather than right. keeping that side of me quiet, 
I decided for a whole bunch of reasons to start bringing that more to the fore. And it seems like things have really accelerated since I did that. Yeah, definitely. So, so you touched on a couple of things there that part of what I think bothers me about the conversation that's happening, I guess, culturally right now is that it, it, it seems antithetical to like the American dream concept, right? Mm. Is like my, my dad, I'm, I'm half Latino, half white. And so my, we grew up as far away from a silver spoon as you could get. Like my dad swung a hammer. He was a carpenter. My mom was a mom. She was fortunate enough to, you know, she played like lunch lady at our school. She was the secretary sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the whole concept for us was like, it doesn't matter where you start. If you're willing to go invest in yourself and grind it out and work your tail off and get after it, you can go build something for yourself here. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like the conversation is more like, well, depending on if you were born into the right family or with the right skin color or from all of these different, you know, you need to have the perfect starting line and then there's an opportunity for you and a chance for you. But if you don't have those things and you're awesome, you're, you're playing with the deck stacked against you, you really can't go out there and, and make it for yourself. And my wife is, is Iranian Lebanese. Like she's, she's a brown girl too. Like, and she immigrated to the United States, went to law school, worked her way up through that. And, and she's got a great life and, and she's, her own version of the American dream. Sure. I, and so part of what, uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit about just, I, I think anybody who I've known, I have friends that have gone to like the Ivy league kind of track. Most of them knew pretty early on. That's what they wanted to do. Was that the case for you? Like, where did you, did you have mom and dad kind of telling you like, Hey, you should really focus on these grades, really focus on these, these, you know, dive into this. Cause you got to care about this. This is important. Um, were, were they influencing you to be like that early on or was it just kind of, you were naturally gifted in school and then it just kind of came easy or, um, a combination. I mean, they certainly influenced me. My parents influenced me in, in a lot of things, but my parents don't tell me what to do mm -hmm. and they've never really been big on that. So I, I'm one of five children and I, I think my parents really raised us near perfectly. <laughs> it's probably rare for someone to sort of say that, but like massive props to my parents because they, they did a fantastic job five times and they instilled certain values and principles in me, which have sort of made it so that they didn't need to police me too hard or tell me what to do too much. Right. Because they know and they trust my decision-making ability. So they didn't need to sort of hammer me constantly about, how it's important it is that I study and I get good grades and this and that. It's just something that my own personality combined with what was around me and who was around me. I, I knew I had to do that, right? I, I know I have to work hard. I don't need someone. I've been self-employed for eight years. I don't need someone to tell me, hey, Zuby, you need to work. You need to do this. Like I, I'm very self-motivated and I know what I want and I, I know I believe in myself. I have a very strong sense of what is right and what is wrong and what is good for me. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's a combination of both influence and then also just the way that I'm naturally wired, um, that I don't really need. Uh, some people might need that more explicitly, but I think even as a child, I didn't specifically need that so much. Are, you, are your brothers and sisters in the same boat? Are they all pretty self-disciplined and, and go-getters? Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone in my family is very successful. Like, so that's interesting. I'm the oldest of four. I would say the okay. same thing about all my siblings. My, I grew up, yeah. great, thankfully, in a Christian home. Um, we went to church on Sundays. That, was, that in, in and of itself instilled kind of a self-correcting mechanism where... 
think there's something therapeutic or, or um, something that ameliorates your behavior in general where you constantly are asking for forgiveness for mistakes that you make and then sure. figuring out how to improve. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all this, and, and all my brothers and sisters are in the exact same boat where you're constantly mm-hmm. looking at yourself going, how could I have done that better? How can I aim yeah. better? And then, you know, working on doing it. Um, yeah. Well, who you're surrounded by is extremely important. I mean, if people want to talk about, I freaking hate the term privilege at this point. It's so played out. But if people want to talk about privilege, then one privilege people don't, you know, talk about sometimes is, well, who are you, who are you around? Who you're surrounded by, right? It's not so much how much money do you have or what skin color do you have. It's like, well, are you around people who want the best for you? Are you around people who love you? Are you around people who value education and value discipline? And you know, you can you can have all of those things and not be wealthy. You don't need to be you don't need to be rich to instill to have good values or to instill them in your in your children, etc. Um, and, and so, you know, th- that conversation is, I think when people talk about privilege, it's mostly ridiculous because I can think of a lot of privileges that nobody ever talks about that are far more important than the ones that people seem to obsess over and get, get obsessed with. And ultimately, look, even if you have certain advantages or privileges, it's like, good, use your advantages and privileges. Like that's not a, someone's trying to shame me by telling me about my advantages. It's like, cool. Yeah. I'm going to use every advantage that I have. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to exploit or hurt people or whatever. But if I have an advantage in something like what's someone supposed to do, even if someone does recognize their so-called privilege, what are you supposed to do? Just like bow down forever and say, oh, you know, self-flagellate yourself all day long. It's like, you know, this is not productive. Well, if you've and, got an advantage in society, then go for it. Yeah. And you're trying to pass those on to your kids like any good parent is. I'm trying to give my kids every single privilege and advantage that I never had. Like any any parent who is worth anything is striving their heart out to make it so that their kids end up with more privilege and a better life than they ever had. If you're trying to do your job, right? Like so, yeah. and 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 I think it's such a myopic view of privilege where okay, you want to you want to slice it to these immutable characteristics. Mm-hmm. I like what you're saying there, where it's like okay, that you, you want to talk about real privilege. Real privilege is were you around people who instilled mm-hmm. discipline, hustle kindness, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, all these different things that are great, but also like beauty is a privilege. High uh, above course. average IQ is a privilege. Of course. Ha- com- having two parents that stuck together is a privilege. Of course. Yeah. Being born in America is a freaking huge privilege. That's one of the biggest privileges in the world. Yeah. Right? Being born in America for sure. Like, dude. And I'll tell you what, they're not having, having this privilege conversation in, in places where people are struggling, right? If you go to if you go to certain parts of Africa or Asia or South America and you start talking about privilege, they're going to like, you know, look at you like you're some weirdo. They're like, what do you even, half of these, con- you know, majority of these conversations that people get obsessed with here in the modern West, it's like most people around the world would just be laughing at you because they don't even know what you're, you know, they might, they don't even know what you're talking about. They, especially when it comes to the oppression stuff, they'll be laughing at you. They'll be like, what on earth do you mean you're oppressed? Right. How, how is someone who earns a hundred thousand dollars and lives in Seattle and like, you know, drinks their Starbucks coffee every day and has a $1,200 iPhone. How are you oppressed? Like, shut up. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, like maybe we need to be less tolerant of these idiots because it's getting tiring at this stage. You know, I'm getting tired of all these people, these celebrities, sanctimonious celebrities who want to come out here and start y- yapping about privilege. And uh, I'm just like, look, just stop, just stop. Like, I don't believe any of you. Like if you actually want to do something, 
then do something, you know, especially if you've got all these millions and billions of dollars, like you can actually go and help people who are legitimately underprivileged, either within or outside your own your own country, rather than just posting hashtags and make getting likes on your Instagram posts and doing whatever you want from your mansion that makes you feel good, but doesn't actually do anything, you know, and I'm very solutions focused, like I don't care about like people want to have the conversation, does white privilege exist? And I'm like, I don't care. Like, ultimately, first, you know, ultimately, it's like, look, even if even if I bought into your argument, what next? Sure. You see what I'm like, even even if I'm like, OK, I agree with you. There's this thing called what like, what next? What are, what are we going to do with that? How right. does that help me? How does that help me? How does that help you? How does that help? How does that help a black person, a white person? Like, how does that help anyone? Great. So now I'm going around thinking that you have some structural advantage over me. And I'm now mad at society and I'm now mad at you and I'm feeling resentful because I feel like I can never rise to the same level that you can or so like how it's demeaning. Like, how is that helpful? And that's not going to make you feel good. Right. If you feel like you're just walking around with this unearned burden of of privilege through your your skin. It's, it's just such a stupid concept. People are obsessed with it. And I'm just like, why is this even a thing? It wasn't a thing 10 years ago. I don't For remember sure. hearing this concept. So why all of a sudden is this the thing? And you are now looking at me like a crazy person because I think it's a stupid conversation and I think it's a stupid idea. And I think it's extremely myopic to try to boil so many of these things down to just how much melanin someone has in their skin. It's like, <laughs> it's just so backwards. It, it's it, People call it progressive. People call it moving forwards. And I'm just like, you're literally going back to the, the conversations people were having in, in, the in the early 1900s about, you know, people's skin color and how that, you know, provides them with um, benefits or disadvantages or et cetera. And it's just, it's just not helpful. You know, it's not helpful to making people reach their potential. It's not, it's not helpful to having a, a cohesive, unified society where people are not obsessing over their skin color again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I just find the whole thing very, um, it, it's funny. I, I find the whole thing very regressive and backwards. It, and a lot of people disagree with me on that, like, but I just don't see the point. Well, that's my art. My argument is that if you really want to help an underserved community, the mm -hmm. last thing that you need to do is go tell them that they can't play on a level playing field and they can't compete yeah. because of their characteristics that they can't change about themselves. The entire system is set up against you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how, how many people believe that? It might even be a majority, right? The entire system, you know, it's the same reason I dislike many aspects of, um, there's a lot of reasons I dis dislike modern feminism, but that's another big one, right? I mean, I actually think in some ways it's quite sexist. For sure. Right? So, okay, so the idea is you want to convince these girls and these women that they live in this society, which is just a patriarchy and is totally male dominated and they're going to be paid less for doing the same amount of work and they can't do this and they can't do that because they're a woman and it's going to be two times harder, three times harder for them. And there's a rape culture and all men are potential rapists. And we, we're having these patriarchy meetings where we sit here and we discuss how we can put our boot down on women. And the whole thing is just like, firstly, it's garbage. It's not true. Right? Sure. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like demonstrably not true. <laughs> and then it's also just not helpful. Like, look, if you're going to believe something that is not true, at least let it be helpful. Sure. You see what I mean? Like, If you're going to believe something which is not like 100% scientifically, empirically, whatever, like totally true, like say someone believes that, I don't know, you, I, believe, I believe I can do anything. Sure. Okay. 
that's not technically true. Like I cannot actually do every, anything. But if I believe I can do anything, then within reason, that might be a degree of delusion, but it's, it's actually helpful, right? That would probably help me do a better life, right? What if, what if you believe that everybody actually is a good person? Sure. Right? Sure, there are situations where maybe that could potentially get you in trouble, but generally that would probably lead to you living a better life certainly than if you believed everybody is inherently bad or evil, right? Like you'll, you'll get on with better with people, you'll make more friends, you'll be more charitable in conversations, et cetera, if you have the assumption that everybody is good, even if that's not totally true, because, you know, there are not, you know, some people are not so good. Sure. But that's what I mean. It's like, if you're going to believe something, at least let it be empowering, at least let it be helpful. And with all of these narratives, it's like, these are not, these are not helpful. These will make your life worse. If you believe this, you are now disempowered. Other people, you, you now may have some animosity or resentment towards certain people, whether that is men or white people or the patriarchy or whatever, you know, evil spirit that that ideology is sort of uh, sort of based around. Sure. And that's why I increasingly, I sort of increasingly have less tolerance for it. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I can entertain these ideas, but I disagree with them. But I'm reaching the stage where I'm like, no, nah, this is actually harmful. Like, this is actually your, your you know, people who disagree with me will say my ideas are harmful. But I'm like, no, nah, like I can actually see I can actually see the impact that this is having on people, especially young people. Right. Look at what's going on right now. Look at what is going on right now. You people have all these grievances. Some of these grievances are valid. Sure. But a lot of them are not. Right. A lot. If you see, you see what people are saying and people are justifying looting target because capitalism is a form of white supremacy and therefore by looting target you're paying reparations to black people like what the frig kind of <laughs> wait what you, you, see, I, 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 you know what i mean and you're just kind of like what are you even what are you talking about right if you if you're if you're so keen on dismantling society and it's just it's just destructive it's destructive it's like look all that energy you have you could go and do something productive with it totally you could go and create something but instead, you're just out here now trying to destroy. And it makes sense for you in your worldview to try to destroy because you've convinced yourself that um, the whole thing is rigged and it's evil. So, of course, you want to destroy it. But I don't well, believe it's rigged and evil. No. And, and it's such a we, we've had this like revisionist history view of looking at the world where it's like I've always been proud of my country. My my everybody on both sides of my family are immigrants and they came to this country out of a deep desire to go start fresh and make a life and do all that. Mm -hmm. And we were taught like, dude, this is the place where you can go make it happen. And we, you know, you start looking at like slavery, slavery. I think I, I figure it goes without saying, but maybe it doesn't. And maybe it begs mm -hmm. saying, obviously it was a horrible practice and that was yeah. a horrific, horrific thing. And it did strip the culture of a, a community for a long time, right? I mean, it, it, it begs saying, like, if, if you weren't allowed to learn how to read, you weren't allowed to, I mean, there was, it, it decimated a culture and that mm -hmm. is horrible. There's, it, it's, it's a, it's a real thing that happened Yeah. in that same breath. All of us collectively have to reach a place where we give up trying to have a better past. Mm. Like you'll never, ever, ever have a better past, no matter how hard you try. Yeah. you will never have a better past. And it's like this weird thing now where it's like, maybe if we can somehow change the power dynamic or tell the story in a way where 
Like, it's just like this, and I, I think there's a way to recognize that this was a terrible thing, but I, I just don't think that it's helping anybody in the community to mm-hmm. be able to go look at it and go, yeah, this was terrible, and we have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do yeah. that it takes to go and build this back up and to go get us to where we really want to be. Um, and yeah, man, the that's... Past, the past is immutable. Exactly. The past is immutable. It doesn't, whatever, we can talk about it, we can acknowledge it, you know, some people dwell on it, I don't recommend dwelling on it. We can learn from it. All of that is positive, but ultimately it is, it's immutable. Um, and the future is mutable. We, we have some control over that. So it makes a lot more sense to focus on the present and the potential future than to restrict ourselves totally based on the immutable past. It totally. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like me, if my father left as a kid, like me just harping on that fact and always thinking about how my dad left and... My, my, there was addiction in my family and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, let, you know, let's cry it out. Let's, let's, let's punch a pillow or let's go, whatever we yeah. got to do. I'll t- I'll, like I said, look, mm-hmm. if you're going to take that and you're going to use that as motivation and fuel, then you can take something positive from that. If you're going to use that as a permanent excuse and a permanent alibi for all of your useless actions and for every bad thing that you do. And, you know, this is what I'm seeing happening right now. Right. So people are attacking strangers and setting buildings on fire, whatever. And people are, oh, but they're angry, right? It's justified because they're angry. I'm like, since when do we justify things because you're angry? Sure. Right? What, did I, did, did we restart the game and like I, I just missed out what, what happened there? Like since when is being angry used as a justification for criminal activity? Since when? Sure. Right? Like I can understand someone murdering someone because they're angry. Right? I can understand it from a psychological perspective doesn't mean it's not totally wrong like it's still wrong wrong is wrong it doesn't your feelings don't care sure like tell that to the judge like tell the judge how you were feeling you think he cares of course not (laughs) if i if i I go and i loot i loot a store across the road because i'm feeling frustrated then you go to jail anyways that's on me yeah you know it's like it's treating people like infants you know sure infants you know if a a three-year-old has a tantrum you know you can be like no he's angry Sure. Okay. You know, you, you still try to stop it, but you're like, okay, he's angry and he's three. Sure. Okay. If you're 40, then control your emotions. Like really, we need to have higher standards and principles for people. This is a big problem I'm seeing. It's like, you're not supposed to hold people to any standard. And this goes across the board. This is the problem, right? The situation that sparked the riots, the death of George Floyd, that happened because we as a society or individuals in society are not holding people to high enough standards. The police need to be held to higher standards. You should not be able, that situation should not be able to exist where a man is handcuffed and he is subdued and you have three officers pinning him down, one kneeling on his neck for almost 10 minutes and the the guy eventually dies. And the only way that can happen is by not holding people to the correct standards, right? If you are holding people to the right standards in the hiring in you know the training etc then then that doesn't happen and then now you know you, you've got this distraction of you know of course there are people who are protesting you know actually protesting and that's totally fine i support that but in terms of the opportunists who are just causing destruction and you know more people have died now people are burning stuff down then i have no again i have no tolerance for that i'm not interested in the emotional oh but you know like they they you know this whole 
it's, it's like victim blaming, isn't it? You know, well, <laughs> people complain about victim blaming, but that's almost what people are doing. It's like, oh, well, it's kind of justified. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not. Well, even in the case of this cop, like, I think you could have the best training in the world for cops. And I think you could have a wonderful structure, but you're mm -hmm. never going to eradicate jackasses from the planet. Like they're, no. they're unfortunately two things can be true at once. Mm -hmm. I believe that we can have a society that has generally moved beyond racism. I yep. think today, in today's modern culture in America, most of us went to school in mixed schools. Mm -hmm. Most of us work in work environments that are mixed work environments. The, the number one way that you realize that we're all the same is you have friends and family members and people of all colors, and then you realize, like, man, we're all trying to raise good kids and have wives that we love and try to, like, do this thing <laughs> that, that works and have some, pays the bills. And, and unfortunately... There are racist people that exist. Like uh, judging by this cop's record, it seems like he had been penalized multiple times for a lot of these uh -huh. these bad incidences. Mm -hmm. And it that's is why, that's why I say the standards thing, right? Because right? that means somebody saw that, somebody was aware of that, but they weren't willing to hold him to a high enough standard. Sure. And that's you know, if you look, I, th I think a lot of the problems that we're dealing with do do come down to that. Um, and it's not a point that I think many people sort of make or raise, you're almost shamed if you assume that there should be standards, right? If you suggest that it's better for a, a, a man or a woman to be in good physical shape than for them to be morbidly obese, you're now fat shaming, right? You're now um, attacking people. That's an act of violence for what you just said, because you, you know, big is beautiful and all, you can be healthy at any size. And all. It's nonsense. We all know this is nonsense. Right? <laughs> when are we going to stop? When are we going to stop as a society pretending that lies are truths? Because it's, it's not, it's like, we know this, like we, we it's, 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 some things are just a fact. Sure. Th some things are opinion, but we at least need to be able to agree on the facts, right? It is, it is better for you to be, uh, of a healthy body weight than it is for you to be morbidly obese. Does this mean that you, you bully fat people? No. Does this mean that you like attack people? No, no. It doesn't insult people. No, but just like you're not going to pretend that it's healthier to be a heavy smoker than to not be a smoker. Like, why are we going to pretend that it's, it's healthy and it's beautiful and it's wonderful to be putting yourself at risk of all of these diseases, which by the way, are some of the biggest killers in our countries. And there's no, you know, and there, and there's no impact. There's no repercussion. And I'm just tired of all of this, I just, like I said, I just grow increasingly tired of all of these nonsense and that narratives and all of this double think that society is magically supposed to now maintain and, and hold. And I wouldn't care if none of it mattered, but it's actually destructive. This is sure. the thing. It's like, it's, it's very destructive. If, if it had no effects, no consequences. Okay. You know, you can say that, um, you know, you can believe that yellow is blue and blue is yellow or whatever, and that doesn't matter. But as soon as you start finding someone who is saying that blue is blue, or you start like attacking the person who is saying that blue is blue, then we've, we've kind of got a problem here. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, we're trying to trade the temporary comfort. Like to me, the PC culture, that whole politically correctness thing is trying to trade your temporary potential discomfort and eradicate difficult truths, right? Like, yes. and it's, and it's like, dude, you're not, there are things that are more harmful than offending someone, right? Exactly. Like there are things that culturally have a much worse impact, right? Mm -hmm. it, you might temporarily help somebody, who, you know, a, a black kid feel like, oh, like 
it's not everything that's happened to you and why your family's here in this place has not been your fault, mm-hmm. right? But if you leave them there and you say like, mm-hmm. so bye, like there's nothing you can do about it. Like that's, you're not yeah. helping. It might temporarily, uh, one of my mentors at a young age said like, dude, maybe everything that has happened to you up until this point in your life is not your fault. Uh-huh. But from here forward, it's on you to do something about it, to yeah. change yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, you got to move forward. The, part of what I think we're, we're, we're losing some of like the music and the color and the joy of being able to laugh with each other and play with each other and tease. And like, it's becoming so stifling of an environment that like everybody's afraid to talk even at their own family dinner table. I've got my <laughs> own cousins now that like, I literally used to say my Instagram yesterday, I got a message from somebody that's like, I don't understand how you can be married to a minority girl and still racist. And my response was, when, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait, what, what did they say this based on? They literally, it, yeah, I, so I, I've been during this whole time of this George, George Floyd, I posted like, this is obviously horrible. This is terrible. But my position is that there are powerful people inside of America and also outside of America that would love to see division and oh, yes. love to see discord inside of this, this tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and my position is, is, Hey, like we have to be able to, to call it out when we see it, say, this is wrong collectively together. We, sh- mm-hmm. we cry justice for each other. We're not, it, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, people that make money off of racism on both sides, Agreed. right? Agreed. And there is a lot of people that don't want to see a totally harmonious culture of people of all mm-hmm. colors loving on each other because they're financially incentivized to keep the fight moving, keep the fight yes. going. Yes. And my position is, is we as an American tribe of a tribe of immigrants from all over can band together and be able to say, this is right. This is wrong. I support this. I don't support this. And we don't have to devolve into tribalism. And as soon as you go against the narrative of saying like, Mm -hmm. well, like it's such a weird thing today where it's like, now they're doing like a, a, a week of silence. If you're white, you're not even supposed to post about George Floyd. You're not even allowed to talk about it. And you're supposed to only allow the platform to I've, elevate voices I've, I've of never, color. I've, I've never seen so much white self-flagellation in my entire life. It's, it's, can I breathe? It's, 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 it's getting, it's actually quite painful. Like the cringe, I've seen just some of the most cringeworthy stuff. And I, I, I do like to think that most of it comes from a good place, but I do also know that so much of it is just virtue signaling. And I, I despise virtue signaling yep. where someone is just trying to, you know, make it about themselves. Like you don't really care about the core issue and you're not happy to, you don't want, you know, you're not talking about any solutions. You just want to, and you know, celebrities do this all the time, right? There'll be some, something that happens and they somehow totally manage to make it 100% about themselves. And you're just kind of like, just stop. dude shut yeah, up like, get out of here yeah, just, just stop right you don't need to like if you're white and you're listening to this like you don't need to post a black square on instagram for me to know you're not racist you don't need to show pictures of you kneeling in your garden with your head down you don't need to show pictures of you bowing down to black people or what i'm like just just stop please like just don't and you know it's like just be a decent person that's all everything comes down to just be just be decent treat people fairly be kind etc 
you don't need to do some super public display of humiliation or, you know, stuff for, for stuff you didn't do. Right. I'm mad at Derek Chauvin. I'm mad at the cops who are surrounding him who didn't do anything to stop him. I'm not mad at white people in general. Right. You know, and if you are right, if you are, then you've you've missed you've missed the plot. Like you've taken your eye off the ball because I don't believe in blaming people for things that they didn't do. Like this is such a basic principle. Like If you you know, if you wrong me, Joseph, then yes, I would like an apology. And if I wrong you, I, I'm happy to to apologize. I'm not going to go and apologize to every other, you know, half Latino, half half white guy in America. <laughs> right? Who <laughs> right? like it's just what is that? Like that doesn't make sense or you know, if your if your great great grandfather, you know, I research here, I find out your great great grandfather did like something crazy. I'm not going to ask you to apologize for you, you didn't you didn't do it. I don't know. My great 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 grandfather could have been some some warlord or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, sure. I can only trace my family back so far, right? How far back are we going to go? I, you know, just like I don't take the credit for something that one of my great ancestors did and live off of that hype and say, yeah, well, my uh, my great 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 grandfather did this. It's like, well, yeah, what did you do? Exactly. Right? Similarly, if they did something totally screwed up, I can be like, okay, that's not something I'll do, but I'm not now responsible for the action. And we're living in this weird time where there's supposed to be this like, I mean, I don't even think this is new, but the ideas of collective, the idea of collective guilt is notoriously dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's a notoriously dangerous concept, right? Anytime the worst atrocities that have happened in history have often happened because of the idea of collective guilt. The idea that an entire group demographic of people is responsible for some action or something that exists in society or whatever, even if they themselves individually have no culpability. Sure. Right? We've seen this under the worst dictators. We've seen this in the worst genocides, et cetera. Like, I'm, not exact, I'm, not saying, uh, I'm not extrapolating and saying that this is uh, even on the same level, but I'm kind of like, look, like, let's, not even, let's not even play around with these ideas. Sure. You know? like, let's, not even, let's not even have that mindset that we are now blaming people for things that they did not do and that they have no responsibility for like and that that should be i feel like that should be obvious i feel like a lot of things i say should be obvious but i find myself having to say them yeah i, I find that I find, that's where i'm getting dragged into the political sphere when i had no intention of being there because i'm now having to rationalize things that i thought we all took for granted like we all understood yeah. and it's one of my best friends from childhood posted this week on facebook in a, like a massive public apology f on behalf of white people to black people. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Zach, like you grew up just as ghetto as I did, bro. Like, what do you mean? You, <laughs> no one alive today owned a slave and no one no. was a slave. Like, we, what are you apologizing for, dude? You were just yeah. as poor as we were. Like, <laughs> and, and, and who, and who gave, and who gave you that authority? It's also, it's also extremely arrogant, right? Extremely arrogant. Like who appointed you as the spokesman? For white people. Since right. when do you guys have a spokesman? Like, who's the spokesman for black people? That's why I hate it in the media when they bring someone on and they they get them to speak on behalf of b the black community. I'm like, who, who on earth? Who yeah. on earth has nominated this person to come? To, I to, dub to thee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you are king of the blacks. Yeah, right. right? It's, it's just kind of like, come on, man. This is so uh. patronizing and 
it's so weird how people don't see that. You know, you can speak for yourself. If someone's like, yeah, you know, Zuby, we want you to give your opinion on this thing. And I, I do say explicitly, right? If, if they try to get me to say, you know, I've had things where I've, I've had people ask me like, oh, you know, what is the, what do British people think about this? Or what is the, you know, what's the black community's thought? I'm like, look, I cannot speak for anybody but myself. And sure. I'm not going to try to, I don't expect you to speak on behalf of all Americans or all white dudes or all Latino dudes or whatever, like you've just got your own opinions and they may be diametrically opposed to other people who share some immutable characteristics with you. Like why, why wouldn't they be? Sure. Um, I just really don't view, I don't know, you know, like we, we are, we are all, we're all tribes and collectives in certain ways and along different avenues, but we are all just, we're all individuals ultimately. Sure. And to, the entire root of, sorry, the entire root of any kind of racism or bigotry or whatever, it's rooted in losing sight of the individual and thinking collectively, right? That, that's, that's all it is. How so much, how, go back there. How, how much of this do you think is legitimately like a power game of, so, oh gosh, so, <laughs> so, so, Part of where I'm now, like as an outsider, and, and you actually have a unique perspective too as a British person, because I think a, a lot of Americans are so wrapped up emotionally in this that sometimes when mm -hmm. your emotions cloud your judgment and like, it's kind of nice too as somebody who just like you're in a different structure. But also I think England is also going through a similar thing with Brexit and you guys elected Boris Johnson, which is kind of like mm -hmm. the Trump of, of England. <laughs> um, like in, in this, and, and I guess no what I mean by that is we seem to have this culture war right now of like globalism versus nationalism on playing out in many places around the world. Um, Hong Kong is, is fighting for its independence and mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, France has these crazy protests going on. And to me, I, I see it almost as like we, like this Davos crowd where you have like the elite, elite, elite billionaires that really do have like global enterprise businesses mm -hmm. that benefit massively from a globalized workforce this whole concept of like, you know, we are the world and like, is really like against nationalism. It's against patriotism. Yeah. It's against like being in your, your proud of your own country. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder how much of this is just getting pushed from the top down on this, this, this weird structure of, you know, deny your, your patriotism, deny your country affiliation mm -hmm. But really, it's like this thinly veiled push towards globalism where like even even right now in the United States, right, we put 40 million people out of work for this coronavirus. Everybody's working remotely. And the thing that I think nobody's talking about right now is if you're if everybody's working remotely, now you're competing against an entire global labor force. Why wouldn't yes. some company go hire somebody in India now? because everybody's working remotely anyways. Mm -hmm. And do you really want to go compete with everybody across the world in labor? Like, I mean, this is like a weird, it just seems like such a weird thing that like we're, we're experiencing <laughs> in all this. Yeah. I mean, in terms of where everything sort of initiates and come from, comes from and to what degree there's some puppet master or puppet masters pulling the strings, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I, I don't go too deep into that. Mm -hmm. But it is very clear that, firstly, I believe that most of the people who push these ideas, et cetera, are, you know, what can be termed sort of useful idiots, right? They're not people who, pe people have been convinced that they are, these are their own ideas, 
And mm-hmm. so they, even if they did come from, you know, some elite billionaire class or whatever, that person has no cognizance of that whatsoever. Sure. They've convinced themselves that this is their idea. This is their group. This is their thing they're pushing for, which actually makes it 50 times more effective, right? Because once, right. once it's like that, it becomes automated, right? You don't, you can, you can just press the start button and then your minions go off and convert other people and, and you just got to get this, this whole, uh, this whole thing. But um, it is very clear that there are a lot of incentives to, you know, if, if you come back to incentives, it helps to understand a lot of things. If you can understand where the incentives are for people, then it makes it a lot easier to understand their behavior. And it's very clear that there are people who are incentivized to sow division or to push specific ideologies. There are people who are incentivized to lie and to be dishonest and to be manipulative. And some of these people are in academia. Some of them are in the media. Some of them are just general citizens. Some of them are in the police, etc. People have all kinds of perverse incentives that are happening all the time. And I think a big problem is that we've moved away from the truth, right? We were talking a bit earlier about how hard it is to, to say the truth and how when you tell the truth, in fact, now you get punished, Sure. right? And that is... That concept is actually extremely concerning to someone who thinks about it on, on a deep level because most problems stem from not telling the truth, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you think about it, if people were totally honest and people were authentic and people didn't manipulate and propagandize and lie, etc., to meet their incentives, whether that is political power or votes or money or... Um, some aspects of, of social standing and, you know, being seen as being a good person. That's what virtue signaling is, right? It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just wanting to show, to signal to other people that you are a good person or they, you just want them to view you as a good person. So rather than being a good person, rather than just, then, rather than just not being racist, it's important for you to make sure you uh, use the hashtag Black Lives Matter and you talk about how you're, you acknowledge your white privilege and you talk about, you know, I'm sorry, black people, like, I'm sorry, you know, my, my white skin and, and you, you, all of that stuff is, it's the reason it's so jarring is because you know why it's being done, right? It's like, you could just be, you could just be a normal person and not be racist and that's okay. Right. You know, yeah, <laughs> that, totally. that's always been fine up, up until now that that's always been fine. Right. It's I've been the goal. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, that that's always been fine. Right. Uh-huh. If you're a man, no. right. You don't need to, I don't need to go on Twitter and write a post about how horrible men are and how we must hashtag end end rape now. Uh, what's that going to do? Do, yeah. you, do you think the people who actually rape people are going to see a hashtag trending and be like, Oh, you know, Oh crap guys. You know, I was really considering that rape later on, but now, you know, (laughs) so so it's so obvious why it's being done, because it's like, look, that's not going to actually affect anything in the real world that you're just saying that. So you can be seen as being one of the one of the good men, right? One of the good guys. You can signal to the women. You can make other men feel bad, et cetera, you know. And it's all just very tiresome and it's very disingenuous, disingenuous and it's not honest and it prevents people from having the real conversations. And if we, if we actually want to get to the bottom of certain problems that are legitimate problems, we need to at least be willing to tell the truth and acknowledge what the issues are. And then we may have different ideas about the solutions, but we've got to at least be able to be honest and to say what is 
you know, people have different ideas, people have a different opinion. Sometimes you'll be wrong, right? Sometimes you'll say something and say, okay, this is my opinion. And someone else might have a rebuttal and you're like, yeah, actually, you know, your point makes more sense than mine. Or someone may have facts or someone may have evidence or whatever. But if we're going to pretend that the evidence doesn't exist or that the statistics are, are don't exist or um, saying this is offensive or you, oh, no, you can't say that word. No, don't use that word. You know, it's like, come on, there's there's a reasonable we can be we can accept like let's be polite let's be kind to each other let's not be unnecessarily inflammatory etc but there there's a limit right once you stop once you start trying to control people's words you're still you're trying to control people's thinking sure right if you if i say oh no you're not allowed to use that word then you i'm i'm limiting the way that you can think and the way that you can express yourself and um yeah, that's why free speech is so important. Yeah, I mean, you touch on a couple of things. And I do want to die. I know you were banned, or not banned, but suspended from Twitter <laughs> a little bit ago, which is now working out in your favor with your new single, I know, which is good. <laughs> but uh, I, made five, I made five figures off of that. Whole yeah, thing. exactly, right? Turning, <laughs> turning lemons into lemonade. But yeah. I, And this is where I think we're in a weird place, too, where it's like, now limiting speech. So I, so I'm telling the truth, what you're saying. I believe that we actually know something at a level that is, may not be able to be articulated before we're able to articulate it. I think for a lot of us, something feels right or wrong. Like truth resonates when, even if it's somebody that's a, a weird source for truth. And when you hear it, it typically resonates where you go, man, that sounds right. Right. And, yeah. and it, and it kind of just rings a bell inside of you. Um, you know, we're in a weird place now where censorship is like rearing its head up in a way where I thought we had moved beyond. I really thought collectively as a culture, we already understood censorship in, in, I mean, with very, very few exceptions, right? Worth like broadcasting porn on television in the middle of the day or like, I mean, we, we have manners and we have a, a whatever, but being able to what you're saying, like just collectively remove people from the conversation that, that are saying things we disagree with. Um, that's such a weird thing where it's like, A, you're not stopping the conversation. You're driving it underground. You're making these people that we would otherwise be able to reach now become some fringe part of society. Mm-hmm. And I believe, you know, like I, I think Dave Rubin said it, and I'll steal it from him, but like sun, sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? Like yes. if, if something's a bad idea, let's talk about it. Bring it out here. Mm-hmm. Get these bad ideas out mm-hmm. and let's talk about them openly and in public. And yeah. so let's, let's dive into your recent Twitter suspension, I guess, yeah. and what happened Before we there. jump in there, man, I wanted to say, though, what, what you said there is it's actually a very sophisticated concept. Which one? So... The idea of freedom of speech, the idea of uh, sunlight being the best disinfectant, because you have to remember both geographically and historically, the concept of freedom of speech is very rare. Sure. Extremely rare. Okay. So you were kind of saying that you think you thought society had moved past it and I don't, society will never move past it. Sure. Right. You will always have people who want to censor others because there is a strong incentive to do so. Right. Because... People like their ideas. People wrap their identity into their ideas. And so criticism of those ideas feels like an attack for a lot of people. So it's much more on a surface level, if you don't go deep into it, it makes more sense that, no, I just stop, you just stop people from saying things that are harmful or potentially dangerous rather than letting them say them and hoping that 
someone else counters it with better speeches, right? Like that's a, the, the gut reaction is to, is to stop it, right? If you have a strong belief in something, whether it's a religious or political or something social or whatever, and you have someone who is a, like, just take someone who is the total opposite of you on everything, sure. right? In terms of their beliefs, right? And they're quite radical. It's tempting to want to silence them. Sure. Sure. Right? It's tempting. Because you're like, no, this person's ideas are, are reprehensible. And I think that and if, dangerous. Other people hear, yeah. and if other people hear them, mm-hmm. then what if other people start believing it, right? You know, like, you know, if someone's going around and, you know, promoting hard, full-blown, like, communism. And they want to, you know, they think Stalin was the greatest. Sure. Or, you know, <laughs> someone is an actual Nazi and they think, like, what Hitler did was good. And they want to go around and they want to talk about how they're superior races and some people are in fa- that. It's not difficult to understand why you would want to censor that person. Sure. sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not difficult to understand it because we, we all have our sort of limits, right? Like, yo, like, I don't really want someone going out and putting this stuff out there. So it's a very sophisticated concept. Um, and I don't believe the majority of people get it. You know, I don't think the most majority of people do not absolutely support free speech. Not at all. Um, on a global level, it's probably less than 5% of people who do, in fact. So I think you bring up here's I've I've said you either have to deal with the burden of freedom, mm-hmm. or the burden of security, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think freedom and security are diametrically opposed to each yeah. other. You exactly. either have total freedom, which I think part of the American tradition is, unlike a lot of other governments and a lot of other constitutions and countries. Whereas the government tells you you're allowed to do this, and then you're also allowed mm-hmm. to do this, America mm-hmm. is you start off with all the rights and all the freedoms, mm-hmm. and then we will come in and and remove things that we say, okay, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. So yeah. it's, you start off with the freedom of speech, and then we say, hey, you can't just yell fire in a crowded building or mm-hmm. things like that. But but everything else, you know, do you right? The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, as in. Mm-hmm. You have the right. We're going to trust you. Get arm yourself. Def- defend against tyranny. Defend against yeah. home invasions. Whatever. Um, and when you have a bunch of other people that are free around you using their freedoms, you have to contend with people that you violently, you know, d- disagree with with every yeah. fiber of your being. Mm-hmm. That we're, you know, and this is where you have to understand. I, I liken it to it in my, in my youth, right? I went to a private Christian school as a kid and there was a long time where I really couldn't articulate why I believed in what I believed. And anybody who really spoke passionately against Christianity and anybody who, you know, really wanted to like engage in the debate, I would avoid or maybe mm-hmm. get really uncomfortable with because yeah. I really wasn't secure in my own understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of people that are also in that place on being a defender of capitalism or being a defender sure. of the American tradition or freedom or whatever that are really afraid of the conversation because they don't understand how to articulate what they believe well enough. And yeah. so they want to silence the other side because it's like, I don't know what to say, but it'd be a whole lot easier for me if you just weren't talking at all. <laughs> so. Yeah, certainly. You know, so it's innate. And um, look, this is a much deeper, This, you know, I like to think of stuff on really deep levels. And there is a valid question, which is, you know, you were talking about that trade-off between um, freedom and security. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that might be considered controversial, but which I believe is true, which is that most people, even in the West, even in America, even in the UK, 
regardless of what they say and what bumper plates they put on their cars, most people value security over freedom. Yeah, I would say, I mean, in their own personal lives, for sure. Look at the pandemic. Sure. Right. How quickly, how quickly were people by the millions totally happy to give up huge amounts of freedom for perceived security and governmental protection? Right. Per- perceived and I, and, protection. <laughs> and and not, not just give it up, but scream in your face if you call you all kinds of names, call you all kinds of horrible people if you also did not want to go along with it 100% for as long as people say, right? So yeah, people can talk about freedom and liberty and freedom and liberty, but when push comes to shove, you see real quick that most people are willing to give away a lot of freedom and liberty if it's going to make them feel more safe and secure, right? I, I bet you, I, you know, I've not, I haven't done a study. I would bet you that if, um, if, if the USA offered, I don't know, $2,000 a month universal basic income, but to, okay, not universal, but you, you can get a $2,000 income, but you have to give up, um, I don't know, the right to bear arms. Sure. Or earning any additional money outside of right. it. <laughs> yeah. You, you, ha- you have to give up something. Sure. Okay. That's, that's considered a pretty fundamental freedom. A lot of people would be willing to, to do that. Right. Yeah. And I so agree. that is people willing. So that's when you kind of see where people's real priorities are, right? Not the slogans they put or the quotes or whatever, but when stuff gets difficult, which of these things do you value more? And, and I'm, that's not even necessarily a criticism, right? Maybe it makes sense to value security and safety over freedom. Maybe freedom is not the ultimate, right? Like I think on a basic level, like we all know that freedom is good and liberty is good, et cetera, but it's, we also know that it's not the only, it's not the only thing, right? If you just have total freedom, then, you know, you might end up in, you might, it might look more like Mogadishu than it looks like the USA, right? If you don't, you know, like if someone wanted by a, I don't know if someone is like a true ANCAP libertarian, and they really don't want like government and they really don't want structure and they really don't want police. It's like there are places that kind of are like that and you don't want to live there. Sure. So we do need, you know, whether it comes from the police or private or whatever, like those are all conversations. But we do, you know, on an individual level, on a small, you know, maybe if you have a little, a little village of 50 people, you could probably be all right without a police force. Sure. You know what I mean, what if you got 330 million people? Sure. <laughs> how, how are you going to, how are you going to function? How are you going to operate without laws and rules and, and judges and, uh, Congress or, you know, presidents or, or some, you need some kind of structure there. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't work. And whenever you start to get that, you are going to have to trade off some degree of freedom. And I sure. think the real question is, okay, how much, how much of it? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those that says like, I don't want any social safety net. I yeah, like sure. having a fire department. I like having mm-hmm. a police force. I like having a school, a public school that we can send mm-hmm. children to. I like that the roads get repaired. I, I like some of, you know, obviously those things that, that we all collectively mm-hmm. chip in for and we all kind of do that stuff. And, you know, part of what I think we're going through right now. And, and I would say, man, like freedom. I, I mean, I guess, and, and we, a lot of it depends on your personality traits. Like I'm hardwired for freedom over mm-hmm. security. And my wife mm-hmm. is the opposite. My wife okay. chases security 
um, and you know, she comes from her, her, her parents, her mom fled Iran in 79 when the revolution happened. They literally had like 24 hours to just grab their stuff and go. Yeah. They were refugees in Sweden, you know, Sweden thankfully took them in and then they were able to come into America. And so it is like now been ingrained in their culture of like, you got to have safety, you got to have yes. safety. And, yes. and on my side of the family, my grandpa was 14 when he escaped into America from Cuba mm-hmm. and at 14 started washing dishes and like whatever he had to do to go like disappear into the country. And we've just been like little freedom loving hustlers that have ran around and try to <laughs> do all this stuff forever. Yeah. And so I'm cool with like my, my wife needs the security of a paycheck and I've always yeah. gone out there and like and built stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, and you know, on a deeper level, there's also the idea of what does freedom mean, right? If you can't, if you can't leave your house because there's like gangs, there's like gangs roaming the streets or you, you've got, there's no police and there's no, there's no legal system and there's no governors and mayors and, You've, sure. you've got like militias just rolling around, you know, like, are you free? Like you can't leave the house now because you're worried. You can't just go to the shop because you're worried about your own safety and security. So is that, uh, is that freedom, right? That there's no laws and that there's no government. Is that, is that freedom or totally. is the freedom actually because there is that stuff, you are now actually able to be free. You see what I mean? So it all, it also depends on that level too. Well, and I, so, I, so you bring up a great point. I would say we put structures in place to secure the liberty of the individual in the mm-hmm. best way possible. My, my position is in the same way that the health of the overall body is developed or, or cultivated by healthy cells and yeah. being in service of the smallest units in our body of healthy cells overall produces a healthy body. In the same way, I think that the, uh, you know, the smaller the unit of measure, whether that's the individual or the family unit or the, the small business or the local school or the local church or the, these small, small units of measure, the more that we can fundamentally serve the health and liberty of these things, we fundamentally make up a better collective and we, yeah. we, we have a better collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, dude, I just think like this whole censorship now we're getting into, of you know, like modern day, whether it's shadow banning or removing people from social platforms or suspending them over speech we disagree with, this is the equivalent of a book burning back in, <laughs> you know, a hundred years ago or whatever. This yeah, is, yeah. you know, we're, my position on this security that's happening now is who gets to be the gatekeeper, yeah, right? I hear you. Part of, part of where I'm frustrated is, number one, I, I, I don't have a huge amount of faith anymore in our institutions. I think, like, just looking at this pandemic, like the CDC, the World Health Organization, it's just, like, massive conflicting amounts of, of information <laughs> I'm just like, everybody sucks. This is all. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's easy to get to that position. Right. Right? And, and, and so it makes people more libertarian. Right. And and like this, I'm, but at the same time, it's like, okay, like Mm -hmm. I don't trust somebody to be the gatekeeper who gets, I'm all about like, okay, let's, let's like fact checking is the new thing, right? They just started fact checking Trump this last (laughs) week. And it's like, who's the gatekeeper that gets to decide what facts are relevant? Cause there's. There's, there's a book called How to Lie with Statistics, right? Which is a great book on, on how people manipulate these numbers. And like, it is such a dangerous game to play to, to say, 
we're going to have a committee of people that get to be the arbiters of what speech is allowed. The Ministry of Truth. Yeah, right. We're just like, <laughs> dude, get out of here. Like Ministry of Truth. Yeah, totally. Like, and, and this is where it's like, you don't trust us to be adults. You don't, you, the authority figure, doesn't trust us as citizens to do our own policing and to do our own job. And I guess it's, you know, I'm sure there's an argument for both sides, right? Where it's like, yeah, man. you know, I, I think the more, the less moral we become as a society, the more state intervention we seem to need. And mm-hmm. the less, you know, the more moral we can police ourselves, the, we, we don't seem to need more government oversight. Um, true. And, you know, there's, and a factor is simply things like population size. You know, that is a factor, right? Sure. You can't, you can't govern the way you govern 50 people. Is different to the way you govern 500, which is different to the way you govern 50,000 or 5 million or 500 million. You know, not everything scales. Sure. Not everything scales. You can have a system that works totally fine with a community of 50 people, but you try to scale that to 500 million. And, you know, communism works with 50 people. As sure. As long as they like each other and they have similar values, right? Um, doesn't work with 500 million people. Um, and there, there's always going to be trade-offs and... That's why I'm not an ideological purist in any... A lot of people ask me, what's your political ideology? What's your political philosophy? How do you label yourself? And I'm kind of like, man, like I I don't. Like I'm, I have my leanings. Sure. Right? I have my you know, ways I think are better of doing things. And I'm certainly not an extremist in, in, any, in any way. But the, the truth is that the whole thing is kind of messy. And I don't believe that there's one thing. There's not one ideology that hardline, okay, we're just going to go full on communist. We're going to go full on anarcho-capitalist. We're going to go 100% liberal. We're going to go 100% conservative. They all have their, they all have their flaws and they all need some degrees of moderation, um, especially in a long-term period. So, and then ultimately humans are just flawed. So even if you theoretically had the perfect system, (laughs) human beings are not perfect. So human beings will even cause problems within a so-called perfect system. Totally. I think the biggest, I think one of the biggest problems facing America that we're just seeing at scale now is, you know, we are a collection of immigrants from many cultures around the world and we don't have a, it, it, we have a unifying culture as Americans. We have mm-hmm. traditions that underpin what we as Americans, you know, bring unique to the, to the world table. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that's taught a lot in, in, you know, modern culture today. I don't know that a lot of people can point to like, here's what makes my American culture really special and unique. And here's the things that we get to say, you know, we're not just this big diverse melting pot of every idea goes. It is a, Hey, no, we're about free speech. And if you're about free speech, then you're American. But if you are anti-free speech, it is okay for us to say you're anti-American, right? This is not one of our values here. Um, and there's a bunch of those things, right? Our, our Constitution's a wonderful document sure. that... that uh, but some okay. people will say that the Constitution was written by white men to enforce the power of straight white men and whiteness and white superiority and white supremacy and uh, patriarchy. So they don't care. Yeah, totally. Which, I mean, <laughs> I guess you can invalidate any argument by just saying, well, like, yeah, that, everything that guy said might be true, but he sucks. So don't listen. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, well but, their idea is that it was created specifically to maintain the supremacy of those groups. Yeah. So in or that's why this is the deep reason why you have these type of people, right? Because they fundamentally disagree with the constitution, right? They fundamentally disagree with the 
the basic ideas and, and tenets of America, like the, the hardcore ones. The hardcore ones will, will admit this, right? Sure. They think that that's the whole, by even going along with the Constitution, by even playing those games, you're, you're validating the, you know, a system of oppression that was set up to oppress all of these people, etc. So that's, that's how deeply the sort of, people use the term culture war. That's how deeply it runs because you're not just talking about ideas now. Like you're, you're talking about sort of the very fundamental principles, right? Sure. You said freedom of speech, but like, yo, not everybody agrees with freedom of speech. Totally. So, yeah. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I think that is also one of the points that I make about how important freedom of speech is. Because it's like, yo, dude, you get to say that. You get to have a voice where you violently disagree with this whole thing. But also, mm -hmm. I think it's a disingenuous game to play where it's like, okay, you're going to rewrite history. Yes, these people own slaves, yeah. mm -hmm. but you have to look at the spirit in which this thing was written, and it has consistently evolved to apply to people of all colors and all creeds. Yes. And this was the spirit it was written in, and we can have the debate, but you're going to lose the debate because <laughs> this is <laughs> what it is. So, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah, um, yeah it's just I've, I've spent too much time in this to, so that I can even understand even the ideas and concepts I totally disagree with. I can still um, articulate them and understand them because if you do, then a lot of the stuff that just looks like totally random and weird and stupid, it makes sense once you put it in sure. the context, even if I believe the whole context is wrong. Sure. Yeah. Zuby, I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show. I know you're a busy man. Uh, draw, I know you got a new album. Pimp yourself out a little bit. I know. Where, where can people yeah. find your music? Okay, sure. Um, my music is on all the usual channels. So uh, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Google Play, whatever, wherever you get your music. Just search my name, Zuby, C-U-B-Y, and you'll find me. If you want to check out my merchandise, that's teamzuby.com, T-E-A-M-Z-U-B-Y.com. And then I'm on all social media at Zuby Music. Definitely follow me on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate it a ton. I uh, yeah, hope to have you back. But ladies and gentlemen, that is a new perspective. I hope you enjoyed it. Share it. Uh, share it on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere you, you find us. Help us get the word out what's going on. But we appreciate you. Thank you, Zuby, for being here. And we'll see you guys next time.